0: I'm Roger Sanchez. Welcome to The Hustle, where we sit down with some of the most influential and groundbreaking people in music, media, sport, culture, and then we talk about business or how they get their hustle on. Now today, we're in London for this episode, and I'm talking to one of the UK's best-known DJs and radio presenters. Now, here's a man who's released over 150 tracks, remixes, played over 5,000 DJ dates, and runs some of Ibiza's most successful club nights. He signed and supported some of the biggest dance anthems of all times, and for over 25 years, he's been one of the biggest voices in dance music. And if that isn't enough, he's now a very successful lawyer. Jules Reardon or better known to most people, as Judge Jules, welcome to The Hustle. Hey, Roger, thank you for inviting me. Thank you so, so much for taking the time out, man. I'm glad. I literally just got off a plane, so you're the first face I get a chance to see here.
1: After customs, of
0: course. <laughs> After customs. So, you know, let's, let's give people the origin story, you know, a bit of where you're from. Tell us where you came from, where were you born, and little bit of background story for those who might not know who Judge Jules is.
1: Oh well, well I'm a Londoner born and bred and I got into This world, I mean, fast-forwarding beyond school days, which is a bit boring. Let's face it. Nah, nothing boring. I was fairly typical school kid, uh, relatively studious, but not not so studious as to be square. But we'll park all that stuff. (laughs) Um, I started promoting parties in my uh, my neighbourhood when I was about fifteen, stroke sixteen. And uh, contrary, unlike the US, of course, the uh, the drinking age here is eighteen. And certainly, when I was at uh, putting my events on, we found some venues that were extremely lack. (laughs) <laughs> when, it, when when it, when it came
0: just a little bit of when it, when
1: it, when it came to uh, the age of the clientele now of course when you are that age yeah. um enjoy I tell you what if you're if you're listening and you're between kind of 16 and and uh, 19 yeah, enjoy get- it because you have the biggest social circle you will ever have in your life so- do, you know
0: do you know what's funny when i was 18 years old around that time is when the drinking age just switched to 21 in the united states i was like come on man you can't do this to me and it was such a really cool age because so many people especially when you start off locally so you kind of started doing the college circuit putting the parties together in college and kind of getting that together didn't you
1: well, in my case, it wasn't exactly college. That, that's a bit more legitimate than, than, than the path I chose to, to take. But, do, do you know, I, th- I think it's really important. I'm just going to go back to what I said before. If you are listening and you're between 16 and 19 and you sometimes sort of think, oh, my God, I can't stand some of my friends, well, care for what you wish for because the older you get, the smaller your social circle becomes. So, actually, the age I started was the perfect time to start promoting events. So we had this captive audience. Mm-hmm. And at that age, of course, around 16, you've got absolutely nothing to do. Or well, certainly in London, there was nothing thing to do yeah, apart I mean, from hang out in street corners and look moody
0: i kind of think this is a big thing in pretty much every major city you know growing up in new york is a very similar thing you know back when i was a kid it was break dancing on the corner but there wasn't really a whole lot else to do and if you weren't a bookworm you were kind of like okay let's go and see what kind of trouble we can get into but instead of getting into trouble you decided All right let's throw parties
1: that's right and they that, so they started in venues that were prepared to sh- uh, throw not uh, Or turn not just one but two blind eyes to the age (laughs) that we all were, Um, and that kind of gave us the experience in how to promote things. Of course, promotion was a very different beast back then. Um, There wasn't social media, there wasn't even the internet. You were you were a kid with flyers. No, it was flyers. Yeah, right. And you, of course, you, of course, of course, it was when it once it was in your or at the point when it was within your your sort of network, you didn't even need that many flyers. You just needed to be doing something that nobody else was doing and yeah. providing a service that nobody else was providing. So we sort of cut our teeth both as promoters and as DJs at that time. Uh, the, the first guy that I did it with was a guy called Rollo, who went on to form Faithless. That ah, was his group. Yeah. Brother, of, brother of Dido. Uh, made a lot of yes. other successful records. Um, and then I sort of, branched more, once I got that experience under my hat, I branched much more into putting on illegal parties, of which I did loads, um, teaming up with a lot of other people. Now, London has some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Yes. So it's quite, it's difficult to believe that, dare I say it, I hate to say it, a generation ago, uh, there was lots of vacant um, warehouse buildings, industrial yeah. buildings, fairly central in London. I mean, a, a key area, would be Shoreditch which is now one of the most the most areas but it's one of the, main, most the most vibrant areas, now, vibrant yeah. areas with bar, yeah. bars and clubs etc and, ho- and and cool hotels then there was absolutely nothing doing at the weekend everything shut down there was there were loads of warehouses so um, I'm, I'm always a little bit loath to say how we got the keys, dare I say, it, to these <laughs> to these locations. But we put lots of parties on. Now, the good thing was at the time this was immediately pre the acid house yeah. thing of the, the late 80s
0: um, the warehouse rave days. Warehouse
1: and and, yeah. and the the law against putting on illegal parties, dare I say, it, as a, as a now qualified lawyer was was much greyer when it came mm-hmm. to doing those sort of things. Subsequently, in the early 90s, they changed the law, uh, filled tightened up all the gaps, and it becomes it becomes a much more dangerous thing to be doing to, or even to be contemplating. But well, once
0: once the authorities pretty much figured out exactly where all the kids were going to, it was kind of like, okay, same thing happened in New, in New York and the United States has just started shutting down. Any place that you would see a bunch of kids getting together and having a great time, you know, and obviously the dangerous side comes with it, but, you know, it's such an experimental and such a creative period. So the fact that at that stage, there was that much kind of obscurity in the law and the freedom to kind of go in and put on these events really, really kind of help propel what you were doing at that point in time. And does, is that kind of where you That's true. started I mean, I your hustle on?
1: It, well, exactly. I we love the expression <laughs> hustle, don't we? I mean, I think the difference, because I did go to start going to New York a lot at that time because I had a friend who lived there. And I, mm-hmm. ironically, one of the three people who lived together was the guy who went on to set up the, uh, the ministry here in London. But one of my best friends moved to New York and, and we, we did actually, we were lucky enough to go to the Paradise Garage a few times. So uh, oh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm aware that, what the, the difference between new york and london was actually quite extreme new york was already a 24 hour city when yeah. i was 16 to 18 london was not a 24 hour city all the clubs in in kind of suburban london and indeed the rest of the uk the clubs closed at 2 right. and in london if you were lucky they closed at 3 so so part of what we were doing was fulfilling demand for actually staying out all night which which wasn't uh, there was i don't think there's anything particularly radical about wanting to, you know, come no. in at 7am as opposed to sort of half three in the morning. I just think that's what young people do. And and maybe the generation before us were the kind of post-war generation. We were the first um, generation who owed no allegiance to kind of wartime value, wartime sort of exactly. community values. Some people would say that's a bad thing. But um, so we were really exploiting the fact that it was a perfect storm of factors. It was, um, we had a huge um, social circle and we, learn on the fly pardon the pun how to promote ourselves um the, the the licensing laws were archaic and didn't work and then there was that then there was a kind of um a groundswell of music that that sort of um, I suppose ultimately became really house became scene. house music, yeah. but actually what we were first playing because there wasn't enough house music to, yeah. to create a whole night out of was a kind of a, a, a bit of an eclectic combination of rare groove, old school hip hop, and a bit of house. Yeah, and each of us had our own because we were a bunch of DJs. Each of us had a bit of a spin on it, um, but there wasn't necessarily one particular genre. It was only in the late '80s and around the time i sort of stopped promoting things because i started to be booked a lot by right. third party promoters where it was where house was the thing and obviously obviously house then you had the perfect storm coming there, from it, Chicago yeah, and New and, and with the arrival of E as well there's no point sort of denying that that was part yeah. of the latter the latter perfect storm of factors but my early my early hustle days were all about leveraging the friends we had leveraging the drug that is being behind the decks and you think wow you know I, I grow up as this vinyl junkie it's quite kind of quite cool to be the, the kid with the biggest record collection in my neighbourhood when I'm a 14 year old but when I'm sort of 18, 19, 20 maybe it's a bit geeky to be like that unless you've got some sort of justification justification for continuing to be a geek and that justification is being a dj
0: do you know what the funny thing is is my my theory is that all the geeks that were so into collecting and this is i think a big part of being a dj is you're a collector you collect vinyl whereas other people collect stamps or whatever have you you're collecting music and that's kind of quintessentially a very nerdy thing to do when you collect and you hoard but what made it cool at that point in time was being able to really plug into your community and kind of turn the geekiness on its head and make something cool out of it and what's really interesting is in the united states people like myself and other djs and hip-hop and so on and so forth were going from the geek side to doing these community events that then turned into the scene. And it was interesting to kind of watch it across the pond. Um, When I was growing up, my parents were very kind of like, focus on school, focus on school. So there was a bit of this fear of what was going on with the emerging community in the United States and in New York specifically, which draws a lot of parallels to New York. Now, your father was an actor, I believe. So how did the fact that you had a more creative parenting, I guess, for lack of a better word. How did that influence your decision to kind of get into the more creative side, especially as you were kind of also going to school at the same time for, I think it was economics and law. So you kind of had this dual life going yeah. on. I like I had the same think, thing with architecture.
1: Right, yeah. I think that was the kind of schizo... Uh, I mean, I use it in the loosest sense of the word, but the the the, the, the set of parents I had, I've got on the one, one hand, my mother's side, all teachers, university professors, very, very hard on the, uh, yep. on the slave, you, slave to wait, the books. Did,
0: did you have to do what I had to do? My father was not only an engineer, but he was... Ver, uh, he had a degree in mathematics so what he used to do is every Saturday while all the kids were playing outside I'd be there till like about three o'clock in the afternoon having to slave away on the books before dad said okay you're allowed to go out did you, did you get that one it, it wasn't quite that bad but it was you know, I, but but <laughs> you the motivate
1: the motivation was kind of there because my, my mother was a teacher my aunt was a teacher my uncle still is a professor at Oxford so it's a very academic that that sounds very academic yeah it, it was it was all in the school reports and in the parents' evenings, and if that if I if I didn't deliver when they went to see the the, the the teacher for parents' evening and and in my school report, then I wasn't going yeah, you out. Going I wasn't going, going out at all. So you were shut down. So it was pretty. You know the 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 the, uh, the the lines that were drawn were very clear. My dad, on the other hand, was an actor, went on to be a TV director, had been out of work, had been a basically a <laughs> jobbing uh, entertainment mm-hmm. professional. Sounds very posh, but you know something like <laughs> something like that for most of his life. So I understood what it was like to be. Um, going hand to mouth from one gig to the next if you like albeit longer gigs than we DJs enjoy
0: So the good thing is that at least from his perspective you the creative side was probably encouraged a bit more Now w- what I've seen is that you seem to have very strong family roots and you actually were working with your brother at, at one point in time and he set up Sirius I believe the name of the record label was that you and That's right up? and he was a club promoter as well and, and, a, a and, and as well. had a management company too yeah. yep. So how was it mixing the family and the business well actually i they
1: sort of they managed me and they handled my agency for a long time but i didn't i tried not to get too heavily involved in the other side of the business really right? I, I kind of did my own thing did radio, i was on radio one of course for 15 years i ran a, a label that was totally separate to what they did in the in the run-up to it. I, you, it's it, it's it's tough i mean yeah. my brother and i are very different people i, I don't know many siblings who haven't got significant differences from one another, so.
0: <laughs> I think part of being a family, like a sibling, is having a bit of that kind of head button and the clash, and, you know, it's, it's always like, okay, well, one-upmanship or we could do a little bit better I did did kind of like the financial side become a factor in in driving the business side of things forward or was it always more on the creative side
1: uh, it's, it's a really tough one and I think it's a, that's, that you would have to ask any any DJ, I mean, as far as DJs yeah. are concerned, you know, I mean, I've I've been DJing over thirty years. I'm this this calendar year, I probably will have done, will do between eighty and a hundred gigs. Which you know, I'm yeah, in my fifties. I'm, I'm in my fifties. I never imagined it would be that many.
0: Do you know what? Um, do you know what? Tell me this wasn't the case when you were about. 18 and 19. You looked at anybody that was over 30, like God, you're old. Oh Couldn't, my word. <laughs> couldn't have imagined. No, probably anybody being over
1: 20. No, absolutely not. At and, 50 plus. You know, so, I feel you, by the way. Yeah, right no, there. no, Well, exactly. Um, I so I think that you know part of my longevity. Uh, notwithstanding having been around uh, long enough to have a, a brand name in certain not globally but in certain key territories particularly in this country is down to being sensible with fees yeah. so i've never um so there's always a balance right if you if you undercharge yourself then you're going to find yourself Underneath yeah. the, the the guy who's charging more on the flyer, yeah, yeah. even if that guy on the flyer deserves to be under you, if you know what right. I mean. So, so that's quite a difficult one. On the other hand, if you there are many agents out there who are just into the conveyor belt of talent. You know they'll 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 get the next big thing, yeah. uh, triple their fees um, compared to the previous agent, previous management, rinse them, yeah, and put then them throw straight them on the and track, then throw them off the other end. Um, by which point they are not able to get much continued work yeah. because. That their fees are so high that it's disproportionate there aren't many promoters who can really afford to pay them you know maybe the odds maybe the odd festival where the where yeah. the bar is raised a bit financially so so for me um, I think part of uh, having a good business head and part of being a hustler yeah. I'm going to try and use the expression as much as possible <laughs> is having it just kind of creeps in there. Is, is, is playing the long game really and, and, it, and in my case when I joined Radio 1 when I was just in my thirties, so I'd been around a long time. I'd been doing it um, twelve to fifteen years already by that yeah. point. So I was able to. Um, I mean, I think one of the nice things about DJs, and of course, and I dare I say it, one of the difficult things for Avicii, who who reached the heady heights so yeah. very quickly, but in in the majority of DJs, the, the case of the majority of DJs, it's it's a quite a slow ascendancy. Mm-hmm. So of course there are exceptions, but you tend to meet DJs tend to be quite grounded and quite. Quite capable of looking at the long game. I don't know if you look at the te- the technosphere, for example. Dixon being a huge name, it's been mm-hmm. around for forever, but yep. you've only really heard his name on the global stage Recently. in the last five, a yeah. little bit more years. So, um, if you do play the long game, and you know, I love what I do. I'm very happy that I don't have to sit at home watching uh, Britain's Got Talent or kind of x Factor or whatever and that's 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 a motivation all of itself but if you if you enjoy what you do you love performing in front of people which of course you can't kid people about play the long game think don't just think financially you've got to charge enough money that people take you seriously but don't rinse everybody, every business transaction, and this is the lawyer speaking, has got to leave meat on the bone for both parties in that transaction. If it doesn't, something will go wrong in the long term.
0: I agree, everybody eats, or everybody should eat. And what's interesting is that this current generation of entertainers, DJs, pretty much everyone that's coming into this sphere now has a very different um, perspective, and it's very much about, get it now, the managers and the agents and the people that surround an artist, like the example you just made with Avicii, is funny. I actually gave Avicii his very, very first remix ever, and I remember him as this like young, fresh-faced kid that was standing outside the door trying to get into the party that I was playing in Stockholm. And it, it from and I put out a lot of his early records. It broke my heart when I saw what happened because the industry and this there are certain people that were around him, basically just disregarded the humanity and the actual need to be a human within being an artist and it's one of those things where the industry could really be as amazing as it is and as fantastic and you know the ability to reach your dreams it can also crush someone. And the um, thing is like, and so here's a question for you. Have you had run-ins, and sp- to this point, have you had run-ins in the industry where things have gone completely wrong and somebody's just kind of like taking you to the cleaners and I've got my own experiences? I'm pretty sure you've probably run up within this long period of time into something that has kind of pulled you down, set you back, you know. yeah. What I don't, have you, what have you I don't, come I wouldn't, I
1: wouldn't say business-wise. I think I've been, because I've been surrounded by People I've known for a very long time. I, I I changed. Man, I had the same manager for fifteen years or thereabouts, and that to was some And that is somebody uh, you know, who. And that did change about three or four years ago. But that was somebody that was my brother's best friend from school. So I, we've right. always been very very tight uh, with the people that we do business with at the core of our business. So right. I've never had look, one, those horrible nightmares that have gone yeah. wrong on that level. But it's more a case of you know. Have you beating? run into like promoters well, and no, things like that? it's more a case of you know when so. What the, the probably the predecessor of, of social media kind of message yeah. boards, you know, elements of people turning on you who were your your hardcore yeah. fans because that's just it's just the nature the more, the better known you transition. become, the more people have an opinion about you, and you need to be. I I I think, I think the thing that people uh, I'll tell you what since I've been I've been a lawyer for six years and, mm-hmm. and it's a really interesting dynamic when you've spent a lifetime as an artist focusing dare I say it, in quite an inward direction Right. Um, you have to be like that to be successful well, you spend yeah, a lot but, of time in your head of course you do and it's like the metaphor I think the best metaphor I can use for being an artist is like walking out in the street naked every time every time, <laughs> every time you, you make a record every time you go on the radio every yeah. time you do a gig you're naked because there's nobody else you're yeah. answerable Fundamentally, you're answerable to, to nobody but yourself. Yeah. So, but what being a, a lawyer has taught me is. It's giving me a view from the mountaintop. I represent quite a lot. I don't just do dance music. But I represent quite a lot of big players within dance music. Right. And you and you see those kind of common factors, and you realise that we're all the same. We're all, you know, there's something in each of our personal stories driving us to be like this, to, to not take the not take the kind of nine to five path, or in my you know in my case and from the sound of things your case, not to go down the straightforward middle class kind yeah. of path. Yeah. Um, that we've all got our own, so yeah. I mean, I could t- probably a factor in my story would be my mother dying when I was eighteen. You know, which is a real, wow. which is a real driving force. But, but there's every every artist that one encounters, if you if you dig beneath the kind of surface, assuming they want the surface to be dug yeah. beneath, has a similar story or a similar motivation for going out there and doing it. And you, um, and y- I guess. Fundamentally, all artists are quite sensitive, but at the same time, you've got to you've got to let your sort of determination and your thick skin um, overcome the knocks that are going to come your, your in your direction.
0: I think the important part of that, especially, is developing a thick skin now more than ever with social media and with a lot of the uh, ability for people to. Feel like they know you even when they don't know you and comment and have an opinion. It's very important for artists that are going to basically, you know, turn themselves inside out because this is what we do. Whether you're on a stage DJing or whether you're in the studio creating a piece of music, once you turn yourself inside out, it doesn't belong to you. I don't know if you have this type of opinion. I do. Whereas once I do a piece of work, create a track, do whatever... It belongs to everyone. It belongs to the world. It is an expression of mine, and and I have to kind of live with that. So I'm curious for you, whenever you, because you've done a lot of tracks over the years, have you been able to have this bit of a, a cathartic distance from your music, whereas you say this is what it is, but understand that even though there may be a pray, there may be praise, there may be daggers, no matter what it is. You have to be good with the fact that you did that and, yeah. and it said something. So, How do you feel about I
1: think that? It's, I think it's quite different between one's attitude towards DJ sets and one's attitude towards records. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, it's it's hardly ever been the case that I haven't thought the record I've done this year is better than the records, yeah. or records stroke records, plural, that I did last year. Yeah. Because you've constantly got a feel that you're kind of evolving and improving. I wouldn't necessarily say that applies to DJing because... I know if I've done a 10 out of 10, I mean, I'd like to think I rarely do a zero out of 10, but I'd, I, I, I know if I've done a six out of 10 or a 10 out yeah. of 10 DJ set. And I don't think uh, whether I've done a 10 out of 10 or a six out of 10 would depend on what, whether I was playing what I'm playing now or whether I was playing then. It's about a lot of facts. It's, it's about connection, connection with the crowd, vibe, venue, every, um, busyness of venue, you, you, you name it. But, but I definitely think with music, you've got to you've got to accept that what you did last year is going to feel slightly outdated by what you did this year.
0: Now, speaking of the past and the present, we started off, all of us started off that. They've been around for more than 20 years plus. We all started off in vinyl. And so I always find it really interesting now when when current DJs are like, I play vinyl. Like it's, it's you know, you're doing something exceptional. And I used to tell people like, this is what we had to do. <laughs> there was nothing else. How have you... Um, found the transition from vinyl cds waves mp3s how have you transitioned within within those different type of formats you've seen it all do
1: you know i remember and you you wouldn't remember this but i remember meeting you and this has got to be at least 15 maybe 20 years ago and it was in, a in club the iberia lounge no it was in the iberia <laughs> lounge at barcelona airport and i remember you had you had a, a cdj in in a yeah, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I, I totally not, forgot about I, the, that. The unit. Yeah. And I'd never. I'd seen one of the tiny ones before. Where you had the bigger the kind big of one. similar one that's more. You know, just the, yeah. the earlier version of what we have now. And so that was a that was a sort of an epiphany moment, I guess. Um, I, I'd, like are to think, I'd like to think what I do as a DJ is relatively technical, and I do lots of things you could never do with vinyl. And if it, and therefore for me, it's not about the, the the format that one plays one's music on; it's yeah. about the the effect that it has on the dance floor and the way that you blend things together. And obviously. <sighs> Even even the the, the legendary multi deck wizard Carl Cox and I, I know yeah. him well and he wouldn't mind me saying this when he did the, the vinyl thing on four decks, yeah. there was a lot less going on on two of the decks than there were yeah. on the other yeah. on the other two. You know, yeah. you know I love Carl and He'd admit he'd admit to that as well. So, um, whereas with technology now, mm-hmm. you you can actually do a yeah. you can just do a lot more. So I think it's about it's about the results. Notwithstanding as well the fact that in March of last year I had a shoulder operation to deal with the. Um, the effects of carrying, lugging heavy bags of vinyl around, trying to hide them on planes back in the day when they used to have the much more severe weight restrictions on hand luggage. I remember those days. uh, My shoulder's still screwed as a result of vinyl. So I I can't get... Boring, I know this is not what we came no, to talk no, about, no. but you know, I can't get We're to sleep. We're talking about it all. <laughs> I Let can't get to you, sleep on people. one
0: side because of because of vinyl, literally because of now, vinyl. Now, it's, it's funny, people talk about football injuries, kind of martial arts injuries. Listen, DJing is a, is a physical sport too, man. People didn't realize nowadays everybody has their computer, their laptop, USBs we had to, the originators of kind of this global DJ travel had to lug around heavy pieces of vinyl on our shoulders. And I remember the hustle especially from one end of the terminal in Barcelona to the other trying to get yeah. the, trying to catch your, your connecting flights to go from Ibiza to like I don't know, Copenhagen or wherever it was. And those things weighed a lot, man. Let me tell you. So I, I feel for you for your shoulders. <laughs> I hope you're doing some really good therapy for that, uh, well, man, because you need it.
1: A second operation. That's a different story.
0: <laughs> now, I'm going to shift gears for a second and take you out of the DJ world. And I kind of want to touch about. On your lawyer world because this is such an interesting thing for me looking at somebody who transitions especially when it comes to careers now yes you had the training earlier on but it's interesting to me that you shifted kind of both back and forth so from the legal perspective what do you see that a lot of young artists and DJs and people in the entertainment industry what are their challenges right now that you see from your perspective
1: oh god I mean it really do. I mean it depends what type of artist you are Um, I I, I sort of became a lawyer because I actually, ju- I'll just tell you very briefly why I wanted to become a lawyer, because actually I wanted to give something back. And people are very cynical about lawyers. If I wanted to make money as a lawyer, I'd go and be a corporate lawyer who buys yeah. and sells you know, mergers and acquisitions, buys and sells companies. All of that stuff doesn't interest me. What I am is a music lawyer. I advise people who've had similar lives to what I do, either from the kind of entrepreneurial business side or from the artistic side. So that's what I do. Um, I mean, I guess it's... The, the 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 challenges for DJs are a little bit different from people who are just making records all the time and only want to be an artist and who only want to get kind of a career in the in the traditional artist sense of the word I mean, it's a lot of the a lot of the challenges aren't necessarily strictly legal they're more mm-hmm. They're more marketing-based, really. It's sticking your head above the parapet. And once you do stick your head above the parapet, that brings with it legal um, considerations because then man- managers start coming on board. No no managers simply going to take an artist on yeah. board for, with, no, um, with no momentum whatsoever. Yeah. But the minute there is momentum, that, that's when, when the kind of legal um, considerations fall into, into play.
0: Now, what's interesting is that, especially in the world now that we're living in with social media, and the ability to monetize different um, revenue streams within the business, both as a DJ, as an influencer, as a as an artist, as a singer, whatever have you. I find that they are probably more uh, call to understand the business side of it now than pretty much ever before. And it's funny because even as a DJ, I look at it as you have gigs that need contracts and a lot of people that are coming up right now a lot of the young talent maybe they're not quite at that place where they have an agent that's you know either working for them or they've got agents and managers and so on and so forth what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to get their career going but you know in terms of the legal side of things what should they be looking out for to protect themselves now let's look at the dj side and also the producer slash recording artist side because sure. you do have expertise in no these, i do i, mean, I do. i, I do everything
1: as far as law uh, as far as music law is concerned i think i mean I know you're from the US but, uh, but we, we, you're, you're Latin American US so I can use a soccer analogy, right? Absolutely. And I love... Oh, I well, I'm gonna, love I'm I'm the UK gonna, I'm to understand am going to stop calling football. it soccer I'm going to call it football. F- football. <laughs> uh, no, the, greatest, the great... The, uh, the players who make it are those mm. who are all round who are good at everything. <clears throat> you can't be great with your right foot but yeah. not very good with your left foot. You can't be great with both feet but be bad on your head. You can't be great at dribbling past people but be bad positionally. Now, if you want to make it as an artist you've got to be good at everything. And th- there is really very little room for exceptions so and one of those bits of everything is being very very solid with business affairs okay Mm -hmm. Uh, I I could we you and I know a lot of the world's top DJs and I can guarantee that 9 out of 10 of them at least are very solid when it comes to business Mm -hmm. they might not do all that business themselves they might have a manager uh, because there isn't there aren't enough hours in the day to be Answering the phone, sorting out your own bookings, yeah. having making all the strategic decisions you make about your career. But if you don't have it within you, mm-hmm. and you're and, and fundamental, and if you aren't the sort of beating heart of all those decisions, then you're probably not going to go very far. So um, that's not really answering your question because no, your question was: with yeah.
0: basically is somebody who's starting out right now, just kind of core basics that they should know getting into this industry because, yeah, hopefully they put the work in. And this is, this is the other thing, and I kind of wanted to touch on this a little earlier, but you've had a long career because you've worked your ass off at this, and this takes a lot of hard work and patience. So in kind of um, advising the younger generation that's coming up, I always espouse patience and a lot of hard work, but there's some core things maybe – you know, if you have any any advice for for somebody who's kind of getting into the game who really doesn't have that infrastructure just yet, what type of things should they be looking out for? Especially now with the with the way the world is, with social media and everything, communication is different. So there's certain things like you can't put out certain tracks on mixes on, let's say, Mixcloud or SoundCloud or Facebook or so on and so forth without a disclaimer or so on and so forth. So if you want to kind of get your profile up, what are some pitfalls you need to know?
1: Oh, well, uh, it's really difficult. The earlier you are in your career, it's Mm -hmm. it's almost like I'm I'm batting back the the, the legal questions, (laughs) because the earlier you are in your career, the more... It's about marketing yourself and understanding. Yeah. And to me, uh, it, it's it's a bad... It, in a way, it's a shame, but the reality is the first question you've got to answer as an artist who wants to get a leg up in the, in the industry is what tribe you belong to, okay? Right. Uh, because, you know, whether it's dance music or any other sphere of music, which DJs, big DJs, do you aspire to be playing your mm-hmm. records? Because the reality is that most DJs have come through have got a leg up by via association with certain tribes. Now, in the last not not so much in the last couple of years, but let's say between f- five and ten years ago, I think the biggest tribe to generate the m- largest number of very big crowd-putting DJs would be DC Ten in Ibiza. Yeah,
0: which is, I mean, specifically for like um, the house. Yeah, for the kind of for the,
1: t- the yeah for the sort of tech house sound. But a, a lot of very big. I mean, Seth Troxler, Jamie Jones, yep. is a really it's a very big, and and they now. Okay, so if you want to be part of that tribe, you've mm-hmm. then got to... Um, let's assume you've done that. Let's, yeah. let,
0: you've manage, kind of found man- your way into the crew.
1: Management's going to come along. Yeah. Uh, they will. And... and I, now, management is a bit of a double-edged sword because yeah. it's very... You, you've got to understand, a manager, manager, as much as it's a kind of game of community, a game of uh, two people working together to achieve their own object, a, a singular objective, the reality is that a manager's got their own interests that are different their from Their own yours. agenda, that's right. A manager wants to make money. And yep. the... So, so finding the right manager... Uh, is, is, is frequently very difficult because managers ma- managers will jump on artists that are that, that are going places and actually artists at a very early stage of their career will struggle big time to find a manager because yeah. if you're on 20% as a manager, let's say you're on 20% of an artist's profit, which mm-hmm. is broadly speaking what a manager commissions, mm-hmm. then your, that your artist in all, has got to be earning 100 grand, whether it's dollars or pounds, for in order for your, for your managers to be yeah. getting 20,000. And 20,000 yeah. is not enough to live on, I would say... Either here in the U- U- UK or in the yeah. U S, irrespective of the currency. So, you know, you've got to be you've got to be doing something right yourself. But but then it's really that's when a lawyer's got to come on board. Yeah, you know, where where a manage where, where a management agreement is concerned. Because I tell you what, being a law, being a music lawyer is a bit like being a priest conducting marriages and a, a divorce counsellor all rolled into one. You know that at any given. Thankfully, you don't have to. Be divor- divorcing and marrying people at yeah. the same time. but it's yeah, Sometimes most...
0: it kind of is a little bit like oh. that. I mean, I've been through my own divorces both from the marital side and from the management side. I can yeah. personally tell you that I had a very, very long drawn out divorce from a previous manager from the Netherlands. Now, here's something interesting that I learned. Uh, I had a manager based in the Netherlands um, and I was living in the U.S., My understanding of that was, okay, I'm a U.S. citizen. Everything should be based in the U.S. The laws are completely different when you bring on a manager in the Netherlands as opposed to, let's say, the United States. Over there, they're considered employees, and they have very strict um, employee laws with how you can sever someone in the United States if you say – you fall out with a manager, you could tell them goodbye tomorrow, and it's goodbye. I'm not quite sure how it is in the UK. here's
1: more similar to the U- U.S. Than, yeah. to, than to the Netherlands, that's for sure. Well, it depends what the contract says. Fundamentally, yeah. here, here the, the contract, provided both sa- sides have been legally advised by competent lawyers with experience in the music industry, whatever it says in the contract. Yeah, I mean, clearly, it can't say so you have got to go out and kill your manager if you, <laughs> if, you, if you if you separate. But whatever, God knows? Know, you the, may want to. Uh, you may very well want to. But the contract, <laughs> the contract is king so no there isn't there aren't any kind of bits of law government-made law that would stand in the way of you settling how you wanted to settle it
0: do you recommend when an artist gets to the stage of having a manager getting a contract or is it better to like me i operated for many years with no contracts where it was a kind of verbal agreement which kind of made it very nebulous which call call into case my situation Mm -hmm. in the netherlands do you recommend a, a contract for an artist and manager or DJ and manager or do you recommend kind of word of mouth or rather, rather handshake type of deal what do you recommend well the, the, I mean, as it, a lawyer I can yeah. kind of I, I pretty much oh, think I you should I do I as, ways, ways to ways. To spend as much time with lawyers as <laughs> possible no,
1: no if you're an artist it doesn't it, it's more in a manager's interest to have a contract because right. um, what again using the football analogy which I have to do if a player wants to go to another team you yeah. can't stop them but if you've got a very robust contract with that player then you can use that to leverage the best possible settlement outcome yeah. so it's in a manager's interest likewise it's very difficult for a manager and an artist when they've fallen out for the manager to say no I insist that I continue to manage your affairs yeah. but if they've got a strong contract then the manager can say well you know this is what you owe me and that's when the lawyers start talking when the negotiations begin sounds all very far away from the artist side that we know and love but it's just a reality of our business it's a reality
0: and let me ask you a question how have you found spending more time let's say behind the desk in the lawyer's office uh, compared to the amount of time you used to spend on the road and behind the decks. How has that transition been for you?
1: Ironically, I spend a lot of time when I'm in the sky going to gigs doing, doing legal stuff because it's, <laughs> you never realize just how uh, f- uh, undistracted you are when you're flying places. But um, I don't know. It's, uh, I work in, I'm work i in an environment. I'm in Tile Yard, which is in, uh, just north of King's Cross. It's the biggest enclave of music businesses certainly in Europe maybe in the world I mean there's like 200 different businesses uh, 80 studios quite a lot of big artists have got studios there there's only one law firm which is where I right. am uh, What's the name of the law firm? Uh, Sound Advice Sound Advice yeah. So there's like uh, there's, some, there's music public there's everything it's a, communi- it's a music community so for me um, I've only been I've been there less than a year mm-hmm. but for me it's a perfect environment I mean you've got uh, the Prodigy's got studio. Chase and State's got studio. Sub has got studio. Okay. Mark Ronson's got studio. Then there's a lot of commercially available to anybody studios. There's there's recording school. There's an audio and recording school. There are various. Um, it's a community. Yeah, there are various businesses doing hardware, audio hardware. It's a community of music. So it's, uh, and it's really quite close to home as well. So it's it's just perfect.
0: How do you find your Work life balance right now because, and I can tell you as a touring DJ, the one of the most difficult parts was, and I know you have a how old are your kids now?
1: One's 14 and one's 19.
0: Yeah, see, I've got a 23 year old and 11 year old, so I remember um, how difficult it is as a touring DJ to kind of manage the time with family. And your own career, and obviously you're using that to put every to put food on the table. So how have you found it?
1: Well, it's quite tough because I because I'm a full time lawyer and I'm a full time DJ. I haven't, you know,
0: nothing. The only extent just because you you've got nothing else to do, you know, <laughs> so but, much time on your hands. But, uh, <laughs> well,
1: it's I didn't, you know, it's not something to be proud of. My 19 year old son, I barely saw growing up. We live in the same house, but I barely saw growing up until he was about 10, and then I you know, when I became a lawyer, my uh, with the with the exception of a few bits in the summer, Ibiza and stuff, I decided, you know, I'm only ever going to DJ at weekends, <clears throat> nothing midweek ever, regardless of what comes along. And that suddenly then, at least, whilst a, law, a lawyer's day is very long, at least you get to spend time with your family. I mean, the sad irony is by the time I got to that position, my kids were of an age where they didn't actually want to spend any time <laughs> with me anyway.
0: Yeah, this is the hardest part of uh, being a, a musician or being anything in the entertainment industry, you know nine to five or nine to nine, be it whatever it is, when you come home, you come home, and it's difficult um, when you're away a lot, and the kids grow up in front of you, in front of your eyes, but how do you feel now having this interesting balance, do you feel like it's worked out a little bit more for your family and you, or do you feel like... Most
1: definitely, yeah, yeah it, it has, and we, do you know what, we... Um, well, it's, it's, all, it's all very bespoke to everybody individually, but we, we moved house uh, last summer in August mm-hmm. of 2017. To, we lived in this ridiculously unnecessarily big house. We moved to a slightly, still, you know, by most people's standards, quite a big house, but we moved somewhere smaller where we couldn't get lost in different parts yeah. of the house. We were all kind of interconnecting more. And, you know, family, we've all got different attitudes towards family. I'm, I'm You know, but I'm, family for me is very key, and it's the one thing that I, you know, some of my DJ peers don't have kids yeah. who could have kids, um and and i and i think that's for me you feel like they're missing was, out on something i feel they're missing out on something yeah. you know, you know the, i'm sure they've got perfectly good reasons mm-hmm. why they haven't got kids but that but for me family is everything you know trump trumps you know you give it all up tomorrow um if it for for the sake of your family ultimately
0: No, oh, i agree few questions for you football team you support arsenal <laughs> favorite city to live in oh just gonna, <laughs> no, it's,
1: i it's well it's london except for the weather
0: i don't blame you Do
1: you know i bought so we bought somewhere in mallorca about five years ago we've got i mean it's, it sounds awful to say but we've got property in in Ibiza and in Mallorca, and but I actually now prefer. I know I'm getting a bit older, when I prefer Mallorca because Mallorca, outside of those crazy few months, is a much it's a much more rounded place to live. Palma's a city of probably um, half a million people. It's like a mini Barcelona. It's got it's quality it, of life. It lives. It lives 12 months a year. It's got you can fly there 12 months a year with ease from the UK. Absolutely. So I've actually, um, I, I, you know, if, if you if if you'd heard me uttering these words like 10 or 15 years ago, I would have been. <laughs> deeply shocked to myself but actually i i get m- a bit more out of it than i do out of ibiza except for the gigs of course
0: no listen it's it's as you mature or as you spend a little bit more time on this earth you find that different things become more important to you and i find that having a place where you can have a peace of mind as much as you can have a crazy night out becomes a lot more important and more valuable to you so I think that that makes total perfect sense to me. And believe it or not, it's like when people ask me what some of my favorite places are, I'm kind of like the places where I can be the most quiet that I possibly can be and just yeah. kind of enjoy some stillness. Yeah. So now, summertime at the beach or winter skiing down a slope?
1: I've, I've never been a big skier, really. I, I, like, I like the heat. I've DJed a lot in resorts, and I've done the odd bit of skiing when I've gone to do that. But no, you know, the summer, the, the sun and the summer, Mediterranean, Mediterranean life. Nice. La la vida en España.
0: La vida en España. That's right. You also speak very, very fluent Spanish. And after being in Ibiza all those years. Okay. So maybe this one kind of segues into the food because I'm a big foodie. So paella or... hmm. What can I give you as a traditional Piscala. bangers and mash? <laughs> well, I know, that's, that's really bad and very uh, kind of like lowest common denominator. I mean, my, right. my,
1: uncle here, my uncle in the UK is a very famous chef, um, really very famous really? amongst, amongst in, in the UK. He's called Rick Stein. And he's, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. uh, so I have to purport to be kind of knowledgeable <laughs> yeah. on the subject. Um, he, uh, no, no, I mean, I'm not, I I grew up, to uh, British cuisine, not well, either being an embarrassment or not existing, and now that's really
0: changed in the past. Now, few years. yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, modern
1: British. I, I like, I like kind of food from certain regions that are just made the the right way. Yeah. A, a paella, I can't eat that much because it just makes you, it tastes amazing, but then makes you go to sleep for days on end. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's so there's heavy. a lot of there's a lot of things they do fantastically, and I love uh, I love um, Dorado or. Um, Meluza, so, so sea bream, or one of one of the kind of Mediterranean fish cooked in silk in a bed of salt, oh, yeah. which is which spreads the heat perfectly. Um, I love they do lamb beautifully in Spain as well. Shoulder of lamb is a really it's a kind of more of a northern Spanish thing, but they serve it in most restaurants around Spain. Do you cook? Uh, sometimes, yeah,
0: Yep. Yeah. I find that it's one of the things that I love doing. That's outside of what I normally do that actually is very calming and very focused for me. So it's, a lot of people don't know that I, that I love to cook. Uh, they just know that I love to eat. But um, it's one of the things that I find that's outside of what my normal comfort zone is that I like getting experimental with. So I think that when you love good food, then you kind of appreciate life a bit more. And I think you've kind of, you strike me as somebody that really appreciates having that quality of life.
1: I think, but I think also, I'm because I spend a lot of time in Spain. I think yeah. being, I don't want to be an. I, I speak the language, well, dare I say it, and I don't want. To, I don't want to be an expat. I want to go and do what the locals do. If I see more than a handful of kind of British or Germans who are the other key, <laughs> the key expat kind of the nationality, I, it just doesn't doesn't feel right for me. Which sounds a bit strange, you know. Like, many people go on holiday from this country, wanting just Britain with sun uh, <laughs> and absolutely no cultural kind of uh, experience whatsoever.
0: Jules, thank you very, very much. I appreciate you taking this time. And thank you for sharing your hustle with us.
1: Gracias, tronco
0: S. Es, Muchas gracias <laughs> a ti, hermano. The
1: Hustle.